0: what is up everybody i'm jason trost the host of the business of betting podcast i'm joined today by lee Nissum, the ceo and founder of future anthem um lee is the founder of a company that's specializing in ai in the industry which ai is a super super buzzy term so i'm curious to see what they're doing Um, He previously worked at Scientific Games and has been in and around the industry since 2005. So welcome to the pod, Lee.
1: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So I would say, by far, you are the person with the most interesting background. So why don't we start by looking, for those of you that uh, are listening, he has got a shelf with a bunch of books and picture frames and shoes (laughs) on it. Why don't you you pick one or two objects and tell me the provenance of those?
1: Oh, interesting. That's a good start. Um, So yeah, like... uh, there's some future anthem memorabilia so they're trainers that we just wore at ice because uh, uh, we'd like to have branded trainers uh so i quite like those so you can see the orange stuff uh picture my wife and kids uh, in scotland we had it was really cold in october cycling and they're big now they're 20 and 18 uh uh and that's my kids that is not my wife uh and uh so yeah just very memorable there um some overseas languages dictionaries from my studies french and spanish uh and then over there darth vader money box that makes a nice noise if you put money in it which always makes me laugh my brother and my sister and my wife again my wife appears quite a lot uh as she does in my life so yeah quite a personal this is the office where she built her business uh, as well and uh, i've been working with it since lockdown really although we're in an office in town ourselves but yeah uh, So this is this is this is where a lot of missing family office has been developed from.
0: Ah, it's fantastic. Say. What I really like about your background is got that mix of like, yeah, I have books and I read and I do shit, but it's very personalized. And it's like I'm not trying too hard, Uh, and I I have a I I do some cool things on the side. So it's really well done. What, I forget that Twitter site, but that during COVID it would rate people's backgrounds. I would give this a nine out of ten.
1: Very good. That that makes me feel a bit better. You never know because that's one thing's a People forgot, it's just like you got to look inside everybody's homes during lockdown. And you know, wasn't it kind of? I still find it fascinating. We have one guy, I think he was at Conscious Gaming, and he had sports memorabilia all around his background like, like, unbelievable amount and like, like stuff that would have cost a lot of money. And you're like, wow, this, like, you seeing and then another guy we deal with in Vienna, he has like five guitars hanging on his walls. So, you get, you know, you get to know people just by that, you know, you don't get that enough in an office environment. So, we were. We were let inside everybody's homes for like two, three years there, and so yeah, I also find backgrounds are hugely interesting.
0: Yeah, my I, I keep thinking I needed up my background game, but <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I do, I don't, and uh, so you got the, a couple of plants. I got a plant. I you know, I, I did IKEA and did the plant uh, shopping <laughs> thing, and um, anyway, so tell me, uh, so Future Anthem, so if you founded it three and a half years ago. Um, why don't you give me the founding story?
1: Sure, sure. Um, so um, been working in online gambling since two thousand and five. Uh, very privileged to lead some of the industry's uh, biggest and best uh, studios. IGT uh, in two thousand twelve to two thousand sixteen, SG uh, a couple of years uh, in two thousand and seventeen, eighteen. Um, and when we were um presented with roadmaps to approve and invest, like half a million dollars into into games and game development yeah i'd ask questions like well how much money is that game going to make and who are you targeting those games at uh, and people couldn't answer that you know and, and my observation is game studios still don't really use uh data to build their their content uh, and these games are producing a lot of transactions so ig 2 is a couple of billion spins a month ssu uh, is 2.5 billion spins a month so um, yeah, I was very curious about data and, and all the customers that I was looking after, again, you know, great businesses like Gamesys Sky, um, you know, businesses in Canada, New Jersey uh, that, that we launched in, um, they were all kind of you know, not really managing their game portfolio very well. They'd move them up, down, left, right and chuck out a load of promotions. And These games are all very, very different, these casino games. So, um after SG, when I got put on a period of, a long period of gardening leave, uh I had the chance to think about what I want to do next. And just data and AI just made so much sense because I've always had good, good success at doing things early. Uh and um I could see this data opportunity coming from slot machines that no one was doing anything with. So the premise was could I build an AI platform that ingest billions of transactions in real time to create an action to try and predict how players play when they're sitting in the gaming machines. And and that's what we've done at Future Anthem now. So we've built this platform three and a half years later, over 200 billion transactions. Uh, the business is now 42 of us, so good size uh, team, fantastic team as well, good customer set. And, and we've moved on, right? So we've moved from just casino, we're now in sports and lottery as well. So we cover more gaming categories than just, just casino. Um, and that was the premise of the business. So I wanted to do something on my own because I built a few big p ls previously. wanted to do something very early, data and AI, and I could see a latent opportunity sitting with data and transactional data uh, uh, across the industry. And that's the, the genesis, really, of, of Future anthem.
0: So there's two things that stick out to me there. One, it seems like you have a very strong background as a corporate guy. And to me, it's very rare for the corporate guy to break out and start a company and the second thing is i i think you're don't have a technical background and you know the term ai sounds quite you know it can be quite intimidating and scary and it is quite technical when you get underneath the hood so how does a corporate uh non-technical guy start a tech company
1: it's <laughs> a good question um so i'm, I'm quite lucky I'm, I've, I've had a couple of different Shades of my career. uh, I've worked in small businesses and big businesses. So uh, my original family business is uh, ladies fashion. So that was a small business uh, that I used to work in as a kid from like the age of 12, 14, all the way through to 25, right? So small business at home. Um, Starting my career in big uh, with Deloitte uh, and Lloyds of London in insurance and finance um but then went back small again a couple of times in gaming so I've done quite a lot of I usually do big small big small big small I don't just do one thing or the other uh and I've launched a couple of businesses so in 1999 I launched a business called BusinessesForSale.com, uh which was a dot com back at the dot com boom uh we raised some money I was the CFO became the CEO so done big and small uh just this time uh, it feels like the time to do to, to do smaller uh the tech thing it's really interesting. So, I, I am a commercial first CEO. Very definitely. Uh, I think this commercial first, product first, tech first kind, of, or finance first. I'm a commercial first CEO for sure. Um, but that's one of the things I've really enjoyed about the, the the gaming industry is that it's just it's high degree technology as well. Um, so, and a, a commercial lens on technology is really important. Like how much is it going to cost? What's the return on your spends? Uh, mm-hmm. And so. Um, I've really always been quite well aligned. So yeah, I'm not an AI specialist at all, but I can see the commercial opportunity and the applications of that data set, and just hire you know the best team you possibly can to to, to tackle that. So yeah, a uh, bit of a blend there, but yeah, interesting observation, uh, which I sometimes self think about. I don't know whether other people think it, but yeah, it is interesting how you end up in these places.
0: So. AI is one of these terms that, you know, can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, it you know, it's thrown around the media a lot. Why don't you define AI in your words for the audience?
1: Cool. Yeah. Um, so it kind of comes a little bit into, like, again, the name of Future Anthem and how, how I came to it. Um, because these machine learning models that, that our team built. So the way, way way Future Anthem runs is we do everything in Microsoft Azure uh, and uh, we've built all our own machine learning models that sit inside the big data infrastructure. And Future Anthem, I don't think could have really existed or launched without all the developments that are done by Microsoft and Databricks and other great software vendors to make it affordable. So launching any early in 2019, I think would have been you know, a challenge Uh, And so, you know, we have this environment to build these machine learning models that listen to data at huge, huge scale that you can almost, it's almost unimaginable. And you try and predict certain things or outcomes or opportunities with that data. And we're trying to predict to improve how players play, how they have a better experience when they're sitting inside a gaming transaction. So how I think about AI is how do you deploy and build these machine learning models to process data vast vast data at scale to come up with these singular recommendations and predictions that you can push and how can they self-learn and improve over time so again you can probably hear how I'm describing it and that's because again a non tech ear i'm describing it from a, a a kind of bird's eye of what i think it should do and what i think we do do with it how that gets manifested practically again that's where we have these very smart data scientists and engineers that figure all this out, but I'm very focused on the commercial applications and the outcomes that you can create from doing wonderful things uh, with data essentially
0: can you, can you try to define um, machine learning for the audience? I, I think there's a lot of jargon in this space and and you know this is a podcast about sports betting and, and we're going into the technical realm so I think it's, yeah I think it's a good detour uh, to try to uh, go into the details a little bit.
1: Sure, sure. So, a um, couple of aspects around it. again this, these terms AI and machine learning, they're quite interchangeable. And uh, we were like, well, should we be putting AI out there because everyone recognises it or machine learning? And we kind of speak much more around machine learning than we do um, around the AI. Uh, just just felt more natural. Um, but this is you know creating the platform for these models to learn and understand from the data. That they receive and so for example in a couple of the areas we work in for example around responsible gambling and my team deploys techniques uh, around something like unsupervised learning so we don't have data sets to train our models against that says look for those patterns right look for these these pre-existing labels of what harm looks like but what we do when we have built these unsupervised learning models that go out to try and paint pictures and clusters of behaviours to identify at risk and, and when a player might be crossing a risk threshold early. So again, there, there's no preset way of of definition of what harm might be, but we're looking at the data to try and identify harm. So um, like I say, again, you know, my team developing very smart models to try and understand and plough through vast data sets to identify behaviors and how you might react to or create an intervention to react to that behavior.
0: So, so a big part of your business is trying to get people to, to bet more, to spend more, I guess you call it in casino parlance. Is that, is that correct? Uh,
1: So what way we talk about it is we're a commercial first business. Yes. Uh, So, um, we are about improving the player experience and improving the player experience can be just, they stay longer. They don't spend anymore. Uh, it can be that they play more games and they don't spend anymore. more. So it's not necessarily about spends, but it's very definitely about engagement and enjoyment. Uh, so, yes, as a as a commercial first business, that is our priority. Uh, but really importantly, and this is what I think Future Anthem is leading the way, is when we built the business, it was very much about recognising that in line with the latest regulations, you couldn't do that without considering uh, player risk and player harm. So our responsible gambling models are some of the first we ever built and they work inside our commercial models. So whenever we're making an intervention, we're doing an RG check to see if this consumer's gambling with risk. If they're gambling with risk, then we might not recommend a promotion. or We might recommend that the operator actually takes a different action and actually starts to communicate with this customer that their betting's gone up and they need to slow down or whatever else it might be. So I think of us as a sustainable engine, uh, but commercial first.
0: Yeah, so so the fact that you do the uh, commercial first, I guess, you know, it's kind of funny. I don't know that many businesses that would describe themselves as commercial second, but but maybe there are. <laughs> um, uh, I know. I, know it, you just,
1: you just, I think the reason I say it is because you get challenged quite a lot. You know, you know so you're an RG business. Well, we, well no, we're not responsible gaming business, which is more compliance constrictive, right? So we've had to develop this parlance because people are trying to understand who we are. And what we're trying to do is is like, actually, this is about engagement, but it's trying to do it sustainably. So we're creating a new category here, effectively. So it is a little bit, I, I, your observation is right, and it seems a bit curious, but actually, uh, it's, it's we're reacting to
0: some of the feedback and questions we get. Yeah, I understand. So have you thought much about the philosophical line between encouraging people to gamble on one side, trying to protect them from what you just encourage them to, to do on the other side, like that's quite a, uh, juxtaposition.
1: Um, yeah, but we think about it all the time, um, because you know, the way we think about this, so the way we think about responsible gambling and safer gambling, this is a plus the sports and casino, just to be clear. Um, yeah, you, know, you, we think it's a commercial challenge, right? Whereas at the moment, the whole industry's debate is around compliance and regulations. We think you know, this is as much a commercial challenge as it is a compliance challenge in the sense of if you if you if you move to the risk zone, you're four times more likely to churn. If you stay in the safe zone, you have twice as many lifetime sessions. So keep players in the safe zone. It makes sense. So but whereas what we see in all these different companies we work with, the compliance teams over there and the responsible game teams over there, the marketing team are over there. And they've got totally different objectives and they often don't talk to each other that much. Right. So whereas what I'm explaining to you is I think it needs to be like this. So uh, that philosophical point is exactly what we're tackling. Uh, It's not necessarily about making more money. It's about giving players better experiences when they're gambling with you. Because, you know, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of players that come every day. And, you know, it's the goal of everybody to retain them as long as you can. But uh, you know, we, we think about that from a player experience orientation rather than just a singular monetization where you must block or you, you know, whatever else it might be. So yeah.
0: But just to drill down into it, like, the, this a little bit, I think there is a contradiction in the fact that on one hand, you have an algorithm that's designed to optimize spend. I mean, you might look at it through the lens of length of play, um, but ultimately the goal is to drive revenue. And then on the other side, the goal is to optimize uh, reduction of harm, I guess you might call it. And I think those are contradictory. Like, I don't think there is, <clears throat> I don't think you can optimize both of them. I think you have to cheat to one side or the other. So uh, it's not, by the way, you know, like every gambling company has to re- grapple with this and and it's very topical in the industry right now. I just think from a, it's, it's interesting because your company is um, trying to make a computer make these decisions and you know, there's a lot of. I think one of the super interesting parts of AI is there's a lot of uncomfortable philosophical things that kind of come out of using AI, in that the computer will push humans to do very bad behavior, uh, or can push the, you know, like Facebook encouraging people to be thinner and stop eating and be depressed, and you know, there's a lot of uncomfortable um, side effects of optimizations, and and uh, so I, I think it's interesting to view this. Uh, philosophical question through the lens of a, uh, of gambling or sports betting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think we're at the forefront of that. Um, and our, our, our RG models, for example, you know, often find players um, earlier than, than other models. Like, you know, in our, in our, in, in, in what we've looked at you know, in over 70% of the cases, we might find someone earlier because we're sitting inside those, games right so but then it gets you you hit you hit a home page of a website and you're presented with 6,000 games how are you meant to know which ones are going to take your money in in you know two or three minutes and which ones you can make your gambling experience last 15 minutes uh and so this is the heart of our algorithms they are trying to present the games that are appropriate to you that you're most comfortable with based on your life stage but all the time checking to determine whether you're Gambling behaviours are changing, so if you are loss chasing, you know it, the the game or the, you know, our system will react in a way that says, "Hey, look, slow down, right?" You know, like you know, because we're we're identifying that change earlier. So that's why I think for us, it, we're right at that intersection, which I you know we increasingly think about sustainability. It's like how do you have an entertaining gambling experience because it is an entertainment proposition, respecting risk and regulation. So. I think for Future Anthem, that's how we balance ourselves in this philosophical debate is that RG is genuinely our core. You know, most of our competition, if not all of them, are just about monetization. Right. So but so I think the way we justify ourselves and the philosophical point that you, you, you raise, you, you raise there is about really thinking through risk and what does that mm-hmm. look like? And as a consequence, how the algorithms change and what they present to you it might be a message Jason slowed out you know like take a pause rather than yeah gamble more so uh, I think it's really important for the next phase of the industry that these things are blended together and yeah I think you'll hear a lot more about sustainability in the next couple of years because there's also still pockets of the industry that just put, still, not put their heads in the sand, but well, it's not me, it's not my responsibility, and actually, it is their it's everybody's responsibility. So I think you'll see this blend mature much more uh, over the next couple of years here. Uh, very, and, and like you say, it's very, very interesting.
0: Who are your competitors? Who, are, who are, who are the other ones in the industry?
1: Um, so there's a couple that were acquired last year, and while I say they're competitors, we, we don't all do directly the same thing. There's a company called Vakes uh, who were a bit earlier than us. They were acquired by Sport Radar last year. Um, and uh, they've maybe done more work in sports than we had uh, at that point. Um, I'd argue that we would be stronger in casino and uh, responsible gambling. There's another company called Graphite that was acquired by Optimove. Um, and they do a lot of personalization, But when we look at them, they, you know, they seem to have more uh, kind of uh, tooling to to manage games, but not so much AI orientation and data orientation. So uh, they're just a couple of examples. But other than that, there's not really any other competition that we significantly look at all the time. There's a couple of you know new newcomers that come, uh. But often people have got different angles. Or I think I think we one of the things we've got is we've got a lot of scale. We've got a great customer base. Uh, you know, a good team and a great uh, technical platform. So, yeah. I think our path is is feels a little bit clear right now, which is exciting.
0: Great. So you described there's three types of CEOs: commercial, product, and tech. I would definitely describe myself as a tech with a slight focus on on product as a CEO. And my natural inclination, um, I don't know if it's out of naivety or uh, or philosophy, but I, you know, my natural inclinations. We built everything ourselves. Um, as a big company guy who's now you know on the outside looking in, wh- why? in from your perspective why do you think companies don't build this themselves like why do why is there a lane for co- you know because a lot of your customers are big well funded well staffed companies like machine you know you're a smaller company why can't they hire a few machine learning people to go build this what's your yeah. what's your take on that
1: yeah i think i think it's a multidimensional answer there's there's no single answer um so i mean Firstly, the data is very disparate. So it's often in multiple parts. So if you think about how these gaming systems are, you know, you've got your sports you know, platform, you've got your casino platform, you've got your poker, your bingo. So you've got multiple platforms, multiple, you know, you've got CRM that you're plugging in, CMS. Is your, so there's this is complex technical ecosystem with data existing in pockets. So the data is often very disparate and hard to pull together into one place so um companies often find that quite difficult then what what we see is that often companies um are major in one product category but not in the other so they're deep 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 on sports and nobody touches that but on casino they don't have as much resourcing uh, behind that and even in casino again you've got hundreds of vendors with data in different pockets uh so um i think sometimes it's quite hard for these companies themselves to uh you know, bring it all together uh priorities as well you know they've got a lot to do i got a launch in ohio uh, ontario uh, i've got regulations so i've got all this stuff to do i really want to do personalization but i don't have a bigger team to do it hiring stuff for them they're offering in offshore jurisdictions getting data science talent and i might be able to get one or two but I i find it really hard to scale it when I scale it, I don't have the technology for them to work in to build their models. They spend all their time in data engineering and trying to get data to a place they can actually run their models. They don't necessarily have the expertise. You know, our our, our models, each of them will have run through around twenty to thirty billion transactions. So the the accuracy of our models is already super, super high. So if I'm sitting with someone these big companies, I can either maybe do some of this myself, but actually could I work with a best of breed third party that can get me to where I want to get to you know probably four times as quick for a quarter or a third of the cost uh, and uh, you know fortunately you know many of them think that it is better to to, to, to to do it that way what we think about Jason again in the next phase is we think this area is much more around a hybrid approach. you will obviously do some of this stuff yourself right but there'll be some stuff you don't we have metadata. 20,000 casino games we're building a very substantial metadata in sports you know we we massage that we manage it we sculpt it you know we can license that feed itself so i think i think it will be much more a combined approach in 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 the next phase rather than well we just do this in-house and we never use outhouse or uh, it's just too big and too 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 meaty for Come to attack unless they have got deep, deep, deep pockets and they want to take a long term view in some of these areas. But even then, it's still quite hard for them.
0: So yeah. What trends have you noticed from consumer behavior? Are 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 customers doing the same games at the same amount of time, or does that do those behaviors change over time?
1: Um, they do definitely change over time. There's quite a lot. Of, and I think we should talk about better sports, by the way. If your audience is mostly around sports, because we've we've done a lot of work there as well. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, I mean. There's quite a big uh, conversation in casino at the moment around RTP, which is return to player, um, because there's quite a, there's like a downward pressure uh, on RTPs as as companies need to earn more to pay for their bills and the taxes and regulations and, and and all of those things. So we're absolutely seeing you know kind of a, a move towards lower RTP, uh, but that's not necessarily what the consumer wants, right? So and what we do see as well uh, is you know. The casino industry is like a, is a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because uh, the same games get promoted uh, because they're in the algorithms as being the most popular. A lot of those algorithms are around popularity, so they promote the same games. They're the ones that get the free spin, so it's always the same games that are coming up and getting played again and again. So it's really hard for the medium and long tail to get enough airtime, to even if they're really good games, to get the, enough airtime to be truly successful um you know against some of those older uh, classics that have got a bigger deeper installed base so yeah quite still a lot of consistent behavior uh happening across casino
0: what have you noticed in sports
1: uh sports was younger on so i couldn't i couldn't comment at that level of depth on yeah. on on sports so we uh, launched our first sports betting client midway through last year poland's largest sports book a brilliant business called sts uh, who uh, put their arms around us and said, "You know, we want to do some stuff in real time, uh, and uh, you know, we have real time technologies." Uh, and so we, we, they sent us their data in July. We got product up and running in October, which was just brilliant from both teams. Um, and uh, there, you know, uh, you know, we're doing bet recommendation uh, and uh, exit predictions, uh, and uh, trying to understand how someone might be playing so yeah again not to the level of granularity on on casino just yet but uh again really good 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 trajectory on sports
0: and w- what are exit projections
1: so uh what we try and see is like um it, the risk of exit right the risk of churn um is when we're looking at um you know at sports so for example it could be you know, you've you built your account, but you've had a losing leg right and you know maybe that might be quite hard for some to identify we identify that as soon as the bet's settled. And again, maybe you should take an action because this customer's just been unlucky. So give them an award to say, hey, look, we recognise you've been unlucky. Have another go. Uh, we might look at things like, uh, again, looking at their last five bets and what's their spend profile over their last five bets and looking again to correlate that against their RTP, their return to say what's their likelihood of risk and whether the sportsbook should react to that risk of departure. So we're looking at a combination of different things around bets and bet settlement to try and identify whether this customer is at risk of churn. And if they are at risk of churn, we create these little labels that go along with the risk and say why. And that's what we send back to the CRM and the CRM takes an action to say, OK, well, we think this consumer is going to leave. And they've got X percent likelihood of of departure and therefore give them this uh, uh, retention message
0: when I was at ice, uh, a week or two ago, there was a banker who described, I might be getting the numbers wrong, but I think he said, if, uh, a sports betting customer is worth one unit, a, a casino customer is worth, I want to say 2.5 X that unit and a sports betting casino customer is worth three or four X. Um, I'm very, you know, I'm not from the casino world. We're, we're actually one, we might be the only sports book that doesn't have a casino. Um, so I I know very little about that world. What are the differences between sports betting customers and casino customers? Do you think there's a lot of overlap, what, like in behavior, or are they quite different?
1: Um, well, they definitely play different types of games. Um, so I mean, that's one of the first uh, differences. Um, <coughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, you, it sounds like you're suffering from the same uh, post ice uh, cough and cold that that I've been suffering from as oh, well. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Um, and then you know, sports customers, uh, you know, just as a category, it's. I think, I think, I think. I I I always try and look at what's inherent in the products. So casino is a high velocity product, always available, high velocity product. So your betting opportunities are very available, and 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 that again links back to risk, right? So. Um, and these games you know, can be can be quite volatile, where sports is obviously event based, more periodic. So my betting opportunities are fewer, although obviously the growth of the industry has been you know, in part driven by the amount of betting markets available to a sports betting customer. So I think, again, when I look at the product differences, people who like betting more frequently, frequently uh, and, 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 you know, Consistently, they you know they're sitting in casino or they're doing both right. So when they have idle time, they'll go and do casino as well. Whereas again, if I'm more aligned to sports, I'm more recreational. I'm just doing sports bets. So I think there's 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 quite a lot around the actual product components that drive the behaviors and the the the, the types of person that you are and things like time on device. So and the other thing people don't uh, often talk about that in my observation I've seen in my career is around demographics. So I don't know if we don't take PII data, so I don't know the proportion of female sports bettors. But very definitely, in casino and slots is much higher than people uh, think about. So again, like female and women who like to gamble will probably be more disposed towards bingo or slots or casino or soft gaming uh, than they might do on 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 sports betting, for example. So uh, yeah, very definitely uh, spend differences, and that's the. What all gambling companies, not all, because you're not that example, but many gambling companies try to do is have people playing on every product because that maximises their value to the to the to 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 the gambling company. So therefore, that sports crossover into casino is a fundamental uh, is a fundamental path of success for a lot of these gambling companies. And often, when you look at, particularly in my time in poker, you look at poker networks. You know, some poker networks would be much more driven by casino than, than 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 poker. I mean, you only need to look at the success of PokerStyles Casino you know, being one of the world's biggest online casinos from a being a purely poker product because the cross sell from poker to sport. Uh, sorry, poker to casino. So, yeah, casino is a very important monetization product for, uh, you know, I would say all the industry, but, you know, a significant proportion of the industry for
0: sure. Awesome. Well, before I let you go, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up?
1: (laughs) Do you know, it's funny that because I'm 50 now, and uh, I often think when I grow up, uh, I'm kind of realizing that I'm probably already grown up. Uh, What do I want to be when I. I always wanted to be a DJ. Okay. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So I still go to a lot of gigs. Uh, and i really like it uh, i could, i know yeah, i'm too rubbish to be a dj and i'm not very musically inclined uh but uh yeah if i if i had my time over again i think i'd probably spend more time trying to be a dj uh, if i could uh, that's my that's where my romantic side i'm not sure how realistic or practical it is what about you when you grow up well, like
0: uh... <laughs> uh you can't uh you can't ask the host a question <laughs> Um, I want to do another startup. I want to be, you know, I like the entrepreneurial journey. So like, that's probably my next big take is to do another startup. I'm really interested in the energy space right now. Uh, there's a lot going on there. I, I don't, I don't have any expertise in it besides I'm, I'm interested in it, but I find the whole green revolution and electricity thing. Very, very yeah, fascinating. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think, uh, one of the things people don't talk about with startups, cause we haven't really spoken about it so much. is like, uh, energy. I think, oh my god, you need a lot of energy and stamina. How is that uh, as a
0: as a first time founder in your late forties? Like did you did you struggle with that?
1: Uh I, I wouldn't say I struggled with it. Uh but I'm the sole founder and I think I found it I, I kept on I talk about lifting. You have to lift so much. The admin is just huge. And so you're building a business, building a team, thinking about the financing of the business like and then you have to do pension I mean like oh my god like the whole amount like it's just huge so many stages the lifting is just enormous I'm a very fit guy but even then I was like oh my god like just this is exhausting <laughs> uh so um I think coming into my 51st year I've definitely said like I need a couple of more pauses and checkpoints because like uh you need to gather uh, and, and, you know, like I sprint a lot in business. So like i go really fast and then expect everyone to sprint with you. And you have to realize not everyone sprints. And sometimes people also need to take breath. So yeah, that's why I said when you said you're not a starter, I'm like, I, I think if I was going to do another one, I'd, I'd have to, have, I'd have to have had a bit of a break to recoup some energy to go again for sure.
0: Oh, i definitely uh, take a break. I think the, I think since I'm, I mean I did a small startup by myself uh, so like technically it would be my third startup uh but I think you learn shortcuts you know just sort of like probably in your corporate career you learn some tricks so you kind of speed things up but it is like I'm so happy that I did the bulk of my um business building before I had children you know probably through your other career you're financially secure enough to go do a startup but it's really tough later in your career not only energy wise and time wise, but financial security wise, to take the risk to uh, to do a startup. Yeah, well, that's
1: but you say that's that has been a big part of my. Uh, I mean, we have two small businesses in my family, right? Future Anthem and my wife's business, WM People. So, financial risk was 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 high on our list. I mean, her business uh, gave us a loan to to start up, and we borrowed her offices and payroll and all that stuff to get started as 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 we needed to. So that was fortunate. Uh, you know, took on a bunch of debt. Uh, which I still hold and have and my credit card bills are coming up every single month so and I yeah I'm on my last month of school fees Uh, next term the last school fee payment so we're gonna have to celebrate that one but yeah funding funding school fees through that is 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 tough and so I would say financial security has been even at this point and that's why I realized I needed to raise capital because uh, I couldn't fund it myself and again one of the best things I ever did and yeah, you know, getting, structuring a good cap table is really important. I mean, you know, we have got a brilliant, brilliant investor base. And, uh, uh, yeah, like, uh, so, so financial security actually was quite front of mind for us, but, uh, this just felt very natural to do. Um, and so, yeah, very, very glad I have, very, very glad I have.
0: Well, I wish you the best. It sounds like you're off to a great Thank start you. with, uh, paying, paying customers and, uh, and a good lane for commercialization and, and future growth. So wish Thank you the you. best of luck. Thank you for joining the pod and, and, uh, hope the listeners enjoy it as well. Thank you. Thanks for hosting me, Jason. Cheers.